Truth News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. I don't know any other way to say it better, but it's on, folks. It's on. It. What is it? I got to be honest with you. I really don't know, but things are happening that are unexplainable. Well, you can come up with some explanations, but they're really hard to believe, even those that are factual. It looks like every segment of American life is under siege. Who's the enemy? The enemy is within this nation. Wow, what a way to start a a Wednesday show, right? (laughs) Welcome to TNN Live. This is a production of Truth News Network, And our sister website is www.truthnewsnet.org. Many of you listening, you share everything at Truth News Network. We're very thankful for that. We actually put up a couple of stories this morning. Usually we do one main story early in the morning, but there are a couple of stories up there. If you haven't read them yet today, please feel free and go and read them. I'd love to hear some of your feedback at dan at truthnewsnet.org. That's dan at truthnewsnet.org. Let me ask you a question going into the show today. How are you feeling about life, your life? What's going on in your life and that of your friends and family that are close around you? Are you okay? I mean, are you struggling? Are you angry? Are you fearful? I got to be honest with you, there's no better fix for any of that. No better fix at all than just simply getting facts. Make it a task. Don't make it difficult, but make it a task, something that you need to do every day. You need to spend an hour or so just finding facts about the important issues of your life. You can't do anything more important for your family than that. And we try to help in that and that uh, pursuit of the truth for you. And you're going to find it here. One of the stories we published this morning is about a topic we talked about yesterday, and I'm not going to dig into it. I'm just going to tell you Philcoin, P-H-I-L-C-O-I-N is what that second story is about. All the details about what Philcoin is and uh, when it's going to happen and what's going to happen next week. And if you want to be a part of it, all the instructions are there. Well, where do we get started? (laughs) I mean, there are so many things that we need to touch on. It just seems like when we feel like, well, there's no news going to be out there tomorrow for us to talk about on the show. And overnight, it just blows up. John Durham, special investigator. I don't know if, is he special counsel? Um, I'm not sure what his title is. He was appointed... um, by Donald Trump when he was president to investigate the wrongdoings in the 2020 election. And then Joe Biden and Merrick Garland, the attorney general in Joe Biden's administration, he made it very clear that he told John Durham, stay on the job, stay digging to find out what's going on. And little by little, we're hearing about some nastiness going on in that Hillary Clinton campaign and the Russia collusion hoax. 
So as the trial for that former Hillary lawyer, Michael Sussman, draws closer, they haven't gone to trial yet. I thought they had, but they haven't. Special counsel Durham is actually painting a picture of constant, incessant effort by Democrat operatives to sell that Russia collusion narrative across the U.S. government from the FBI to the State Department. Hillary operatives flooded the zone in the summer and fall of 2016, hoping that a bunch of Trump collusion allegations that were circulating inside the government agencies might start an investigation and therefore a bunch of media interest. For the very first time this week, Durham called it a joint venture and a conspiracy to shop unproven Trump dirt. So what about this lawyer, Sussman, Michael Sussman? Well, Durham says that effort involved deceit by lying to the FBI, that he, Sussman, did not have a client when he presented evidence to the FBI that Trump had a secret computer back channel at the Alpha Bank in Moscow to talk with the Kremlin. That story has been totally discredited. In fact, Sussman was working for the Clinton campaign, and a tech executive named Rodney Jaffe, who was in cahoots with the campaign when he approached the FBI in 2016, September, the campaign, and made the anti-Trump allegations. A few months later, according to prosecutor, Sussman was still representing the tech executive when he went to the FBI in February of 2017. Trump had just taken office, and he went there to get the spy agency, the CIA, involved and again claimed he wasn't representing a client's interest. Well, on Monday, Durham showed the power of his evidence of Sussman's lying under oath. He offered the handwritten notes of two senior FBI guys who recorded that the Clinton lawyer had said he was not acting on behalf of a client when he reported the Trump dirt. Said not doing this for any client, and that came from assistant at the time FBI Director for Counterintelligence Bill Priestap, and that said not doing this for any client was in his notes, recording what Sussman had told him. A deputy general counsel wrote a similar note. Durham then produced a text message that Sussman sent then-FBI General Counsel James Baker making that claim in his own words. It said this, Jim, it's Michael Sussman. I have nothing, excuse me, I have something time-sensitive and sensitive I need to discuss. He sent that text to Baker on September 18th of 2016. Do you have availability for a short meeting tomorrow? I'm coming in on my own, not on behalf of a client or company. Want to help the Bureau. Thanks. So Durham in this latest filing repeatedly calls Sussman's comments a lie that has consequences, concealing from the FBI that the origins of the Trump dirt came from his rival's campaign, Hillary Clinton. There it is, folks. There it is. After all that mess that the whole nation went through, a brand new president that was doing so much good but was being held back with this cloud of doubt hanging over his head. Did he collude with the Russians? Did he get them to help him beat Hillary? Here's what was said 
at the end of this. Quote, the aforementioned communications demonstrate the materiality of the defendant's lie insofar as they reveal the political origins and purposes for this work. And those political origins are especially probative here because they provided a motive for the defendant to conceal his client's involvement in these matters. That's the explanation from John Durham. He also said that in a House Intelligence Committee deposition taken by an investigator named Cash Patel, Sussman gave a different story, admitting he did, in fact, approach the FBI on behalf of a client. Devin Nunes, you remember him? He led the House Intelligence Committee when it unraveled the false Russia collusion narrative. Devin Nunes said Durham has now put on the public record what many Americans have suspected for years. We've got millions of Americans who understand the facts here. They understand that Donald Trump and the whole Republican Party was framed, and quite frankly, the people who voted for Trump and voted for the Republicans were framed. Nunes went on to say that the false Russia collusion narrative weaved by Team Clinton ended up having consequences all the way to the current Russia invasion of Ukraine. Because of all this crap that happened during the Trump administration, the United States couldn't have a real foreign policy and deal with characters like Putin in a normal way, he said. Then Sutzman's lawyers clearly planned to challenge the evidence, they say, questioning markings on the notes and the possibility some of the evidence is protected by attorney-client privilege. But they've also shown their hand for the trial should they lose those arguments. They're going to try to argue the lie wasn't material and didn't even impact the FBI's decision-making. They also threw out a signal. In a recent court filing, they said they are going to fight to keep mention of Christopher Steele's dossier, the other Clinton effort to falsely tie Trump to collusion, out of his trial and away from the jurors, like the jurors haven't heard about the Steele dossier. They argued the dossier would be inflammatory and prejudicial, even though it it too was funded by the Clinton campaign and handled by Sussman's law firm. Any modicum of relevance would be so substantially outweighed by risk of confusion, delay, waste, and unfair prejudice as to require this evidence be precluded. That's what Sussman's attorney says. Bottom line here, folks, John Durham is digging. He's finding stuff that happened. People in D.C. may say, hey, this was all just normal up here. This is what happens in U.S. politics. When you have campaigns, you got two candidates that go to go to war against each other, and anything goes in war, and especially when it has to do with national politics. So you just need to shut your mouth and grin and bear it. It happened, and it's going to happen again. It's been happening since then. But that's just the way we roll in the Potomac Valley. Sadly, folks, (laughs) that is the gospel. That is the way they flow in Washington, D.C., There are so many things going on around us. I mean, you look at the Biden administration. Put this Durham thing to the side for a minute. You look at the Biden administration. Every day it just seems like another little, what do you want to call it? Maybe a pimple pops up. You know, you remember when you were a teenager and you were your 
fair, your face was all clear. You go to bed that night, the next morning you get up and bam, you got a big pimple right in the middle of your forehead. I don't think what's popping up every day in the Biden administration are pimples. But I think they're very, very, very horrible, nasty, immoral, illegal things that belong to Joe Biden and his family and those political pundits are are close to him. And there are a lot of people that are formerly on the side of the left, formerly on the side of Democrats. Some still are Democrats. But they're looking at what's going on and they're shaking their heads. In a letter to J.P. Morgan Chase shareholders, the CEO, you've heard his name again and again, especially here, Jamie Dimon. Dimon, in a letter that he wrote to his company shareholders, emphasized three things. The post-COVID economy, high inflation that will bring about rising interest rates, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Dimon warned that their confluence may dramatically increase the risk ahead. At the same time, in the letter, he took a shot at the Biden administration for its incomprehensible and uncoordinated policies and dysfunctional politics. We're facing challenges at every turn, a pandemic, unprecedented government actions, strong recovery after a sharp and deep global recession, a highly polarized U.S. election, mounting inflation, a war in Ukraine, and dramatic economic sanctions against Russia. While all this turmoil, Diamond said, has serious ramifications on our company, its effect on the world with the extreme suffering of the Ukrainian people and the potential restructuring of the global order is far more important. Diamond is one of those guys out there in economics. He's way out front all the time. He's been a a close benefactor for both Barack Obama and Joe Biden and their eight years together and then as Joe Biden as president and serving his first term. So he's plugged in. Diamond is plugged in. He gets a lot of inside information. It's about who you know. It's not about what you know. He said these factors will likely have a meaningful effect on our economy over the next few years and even on geopolitics for the next several decades. He said we need to put aside our differences here and work with the Western nations, come together in defensive democracy and essential freedoms, including free enterprise. He said our economy is strong and that in today's economy, the consumer is in excellent financial shape, but inflation looms and the world economy will slow as a result of this war. Critical to solving all this is strong American leadership. This is the point I wanted to get to. Jamie Dimon, he took his gloves off and he actually takes pot shots at Joe Biden. And he's telling the truth. American global leadership is the best course for the world and for America. And our leadership needs to articulate to its citizens why this is the case. Diamond said this, The war in Ukraine reminds us that in a troubled world, national security always becomes the paramount concern. We should never again forget that this is true even in peacetimes. 
And we should never again be lulled into a false sense of security. Power hates a vacuum. And it should be increasingly clear to all that without strong American leadership, chaos is going to prevail. Chaos is going to prevail. Now, putting that, what Diamond said, in the context of what you've been watching happen every day in the United States at the behest and at the orders of this president, don't you think we're already there? Quote, chaos will prevail. Every day here, we see more and more and more chaos. And so Diamond's right. We're already there. We are already there at the point where we just really don't know what's going on and we don't have any answers and we don't have anybody that's giving us good answers. Oh, they give us excuses. They tell us it's an explanation. But seldom is it factual and seldom is it true. And they expect us just to let it go through our brains and out somewhere, forgetting about it later because they've got control of it. And we Americans, we're just... We're just out there doing our jobs, making money so we can send to D.C. so our taxes can be blown and trillions more that we have to go borrow. We're going to segue into the latest, and this is something that you need to be prepared for. Even though it's a Democrat that is in the White House and he and his son are uh, really under some massive pressure regarding Hunter's economic stuff and his ties to our enemies. Literally, Hunter Biden has ties, very strong financial ties to our enemies in Russia, in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, in China. We have that going on and it's going to happen and there will be information and stories that you need to know about that are coming out daily. In fact, there are about two to one real and truthful stories to one that is just fluff. We'll be able to carve that out for you so you can expect it. In fact, we're contemplating doing a feature, a feature. We may even name it, but it's going to be about the Joe Biden family syndicate, principally with the light shined on the president and Hunter. There's new stuff out there today. Duh. I just told you there's new stuff out there every day. And we're going to unpeel the onion and get right to it. Sit tight. We're back after this. Subway Restaurant's Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. fee fi fo foam. I smell the... I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. 
Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Well, here's the way this story is unfolding every day. It begins right here. We have a feckless, cognitive, disabled man as our United States president. We have a plethora of illegal activity that's going on in his life, and it has tentacles that reach all across the United States and the world. Every day, a little bit more is being exposed, and we're being told, just like we always have when a Democrat is involved in something like this, that it's either not true or if you don't believe everything he's doing is okay, it means you're uh, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, all of those rolled in together. They will never address any allegations factually. And what's happening is everything, all of the structures, the pillars of how this nation operates so successfully are just being blown apart. Everybody's not doing their job. They're running around in circles. And they're just hoping that at the end of the day, whatever they throw into this thing is going to turn out to be something good and they're going to have something to brag about. Of course, if if, uh, if they want to brag about anything, they'll find something, whether it's real or not, is immaterial. Like, you remember all this stuff that happened in the Russian disinformation stuff? You remember the two big cable network anti-Trump network stations, CNN and MSNBC, they each, at the same time, they spent months downplaying the fact that Hunter Biden's laptop often chalked it up as Russia disinformation. They just basically said it's it's a non-starter. There's nothing there. And then, of course, here we come two years later. Of course, it's after the election. They wanted to make things just kind of go light, give Joe a chance to come back and send Donald Trump packing. Then last week, WAPO, the Washington Post, they published a bombshell report about Hunter's multi-million dollar deal with that Chinese energy company, which has been swept up in the DOJ's investigation of his tax affairs and his overseas business dealings. As part of its reporting, the Post was able to authenticate the contents of Hunter Biden's infamous laptop, which was done 
by the New York Post, credibly, even had a book published by Miranda Devine, a uh, columnist and editorialist for the New York Post, who came out with that book, Laptop from Hell, and it exposed everything about the Hunter Biden, his ties with Ukraine, with Kazakhstan, billionaires, oligarchs, and even China. Now what are they going to do? I mean, they're busted. The reporting from the Washington Post came days after the New York Times released its own report. They also authenticated the laptop. But when the Post became the second liberal network to confirm the laptop is authentic, CNN and MSNBC spent far more time covering Trump's recent remarks in which he urged Vladimir Putin to look for answers regarding Hunter Biden's business dealings than the Hunter Biden scandal itself. The laptop, it got zero coverage on CNN, zero coverage on MSNBC. That was the first two nights after the Post debunked the narrative that the laptop was an elaborate Kremlin plot. Since the Post confirmed the laptop on March 30th through yesterday afternoon, MSNBC has only mentioned it one time. The single mention came when a guest on Far Left Weekend host Tiffany Cross's program sarcastically mentioned the laptop in passing. That was during a report on Trump in an attempt to mock Republicans. CNN mentioned it during only three different segments through the same time period, all during reports updating viewers on the Justice Department's probe of the president's son that didn't specify the laptop isn't Russia disinformation after all. Newsbusters. Newsbusters Deputy Managing Editor Nicholas Fondacaro is baffled that CNN and MSNBC would not even attempt to restore some credibility. All they had to do was admit they botched the original story. Here's what he said. I I, kind of like the way he handles this. With the media's approval rating being as low as it is, do you think coming clean and covering the facts of the Hunter scandal would be in their best interest in trying to boost the numbers and claw back some credibility? But it seems like they would prefer to obfuscate the story, hope it blows over, so they don't have to admit they were using their own political desires to frame the story and mislead the public ahead of a big election. CNN has been generally tight-lipped about the new revelations, but MSNBC has allowed their host and guest to snipe at the story here and there. Instead of addressing the facts, and this is what they do, folks, they don't address the facts. They stay on the political narrative And they just hammer it and hammer it and hammer it again, over and over. He said, instead of addressing the facts that were confirmed by the Washington Post, the network talking about CNN is still allowing their host and guest to dismiss it as a ridiculous thing being talked about by elements on the right, the far writers, you know, the MAGA, MAGA folks. The Biden haters, they never want to confront anything 
that they have promoted as being good, factual, truthful, when it's exposed, they never will come forward and admit it. So we'll just decide this. We'll agree to this. The laptop isn't a big deal for CNN and MSNBC. It was a hot topic in the fall of 2020. On CNN's The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer was particularly egregious on October 16, 2020. Who was there? My favorite Democrat stomp owner, Adam Schiff, Democrat from California. He joined the Liberal Network to talk about the Washington Post reporting. I'm sorry, the New York Post reporting, the initial report on uh, the laptop back in October of 2020. Wolf Blitzer declared serious questions tonight about whether the Russians are using Rudy Giuliani to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. There are fears that what Giuliani is now pushing here in the U.S. could actually be part of Russia's latest and very massive disinformation campaign in the U.S. presidential election. So Alex Marquardt, CNN's senior national security correspondent, he responded saying that Russia's disinformation campaign was massive indeed before reporting the FBI was investigating whether the laptop was part of the scheme. We're being told by two people who've been briefed on what the FBI is doing that they're looking into whether these unverified emails about Hunter that were published earlier this week by the New York Post about his business dealings in Ukraine and China are part of these bigger Russian disinformation efforts in the 2020 elections. Do you see what's happening? When they get caught lying, they double down on their lies. They never admit that they lied and start over again. They want to keep, keep harping over and over, talking about their original lie. And in this case, they just bumped it up a bit. So Adam Schiff was on hand to defend Hunter who once admitted he smoked Parmesan cheese because he thought it was crack. (laughs) Here's what Schiff said. We know that this whole smear on Joe Biden comes from the Kremlin. That's been clear for well over a year now that they've been pushing this false narrative about the VP and his son. Clearly, the origins of this whole smear are from the Kremlin. And, of course, then Blitzer took that. He knocked then-President Trump for holding up a copy of the New York Post touting this conspiracy theory inside the Oval Office, and Schiff was on the same page. Another wonderful propaganda coup from Vladimir Putin, seeing the President of the United States holding up a newspaper promoting Kremlin propaganda. It's really incredible. And they together went on to call the laptop story a, a false narrative. It was put out by the Kremlin. And they agreed with each other's every word. We know, we know what the enemy looks like. We know who the enemy is. And I'm talking about politically, just politically. I don't know any of these guys personally. We know who they are. We know what they're about. What's amazing is that a huge piece of the American people will time after time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they'll let these guys go. Let these guys whip the general public into a frenzy 
throwing out nothing but thuggery. And basically what they're always doing when they come out with these horrible things and say these things that are unverifiable, they're the perpetrators that are actually doing the exact same thing on the other side, keeping it hidden. And they want to keep all of our attentions on this little widget that's sitting out here. In this case, it happened to be Donald Trump. That same day, when those two got together, CNN national security analyst James Clapper, what an integrous man he is. He joined on CNN out front with Aaron Burnett to help dismiss the laptop story. This is a classic textbook, Soviet-Russian trade-crafted war. Russians analyze the target. They understand that the president and his enablers crave dirt on Vice President Biden. Whether it's real or contrived, it doesn't matter to them. So all of a sudden, two and a half weeks, two and a half weeks right before the election, this laptop, you think it just showed up? Come on now. Somehow... And emails on it without any metadata. It's all very curious. And by the way, that was a lie. Emails had the metadata. But it didn't fit the talking point. So here we are right before an election. Oh man, we got to throw this out there and denigrate it every, every way we can. Burnett, the show host, then asked if details from those emails could be accurate or if stuff like that could have just been planted on the laptop. But it's completely false. Clapper said, I think the emails could be contrived. And then a week later, Jake Tapper, the other big guy on CNN, he said that claims against Hunter were so heinous, I'm not even going to say them during analysis of the second presidential debate. U.S. authorities are seeing if those emails we just talked about are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort. That's what Brian Stelter, little Brian, had to say. The Reliable Sources host also hypothesized that the contents of the laptop could be made up, arguing that the story was a classic example of the right-wing media machine. Listen, folks, I've seen, I've seen snippets of what came off that laptop. There's no way it was put together and manufactured. I mean, the stuff, the videos alone, Forget about the emails for a second. The videos alone will make you want to go find your little girls and boys, your kids, and hug them and talk to them about protecting them and their their bodies and uh, their futures. Be really, really cautious who you let get involved in your life. Hunter Biden, not only is he a prima donna, in my opinion, he's a predator. And in those videos, he was taking advantage of women of all different ages. I mean, even young girls. Drugs, sex, the whole nine yards. None of that could be replicated or the Russians could have put something together to make it look like it's real. It's all real, folks. And then there are the emails. And they've been confirmed again and again and again. From the very beginning, they were. But here's the thing. Do you realize we talk about this 2020 election still? They don't want anybody to talk about it. 
They called it the big lie. And in the very beginning, anybody and everybody that came out and made any intimation publicly that that election was fraud. There was fraud in it. The results weren't real. Little fraud or even big fraud, whatever level you wanted to talk about, you were instantly, you were thrown out. You were denigrated. You were put out. And we saw it happen. I mean, even in Fox News, they just got numb. They wouldn't talk about these stories coming out of these courts around the nation. And they still don't. There are dozens of courts in cases that have been brought to these courts about irregularities in the 2020 election that have said there were fraudulent things that happened in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Arizona, and in Nevada. So it's like in Washington, if we can keep you from talking about it and telling the truth, we can keep the people convinced that we got it, we got it all. We're the only ones in town that are worthy of believing and listening to. So how do you handle this thing? Think about it. You have a Democrat as president. You have his son, Hunter Biden. All of this alleged nefarious activity took place, not totally, but in big part back during the Obama-Biden administration, those eight years. In the past, when we've seen things similar to this, how do you handle getting to the bottom of it and holding any and everybody that's part of it if they're guilty? How do you get to hold them accountable? And the only way that is not partisan in the past, and many people think this is the only way to make it happen today, is to appoint a special counsel or a special prosecutor. So Tuesday, yesterday, calls for an independent special counsel to investigate Joe Biden when it was brought up at the White House, they poo-pawed it. They just ignored it. Press Secretary Jen Psaki indicated a special counsel wasn't needed because Biden had not discussed the investigation into his son with his DOJ, Department of Justice. So they deny it. Now, please understand this. A president doesn't have to approve a Department of Justice-appointed special counsel. Typically, what always happens is the president is brought into the conversation at some point, and his opinion on the matter is listened to. Uh, If you remember back in the Nixon administration, when all that mess happened to him, and he was threatened to be impeached, and they had plenty of evidence to impeach him and remove him from office, his inner circle talked him into resigning which is what he did. That in large part was why this special counsel, special investigator, they name them different things and they each have different uh, job responsibilities and the ability to do different things. So it depends on if the DOJ names one, and that would be Merrick Garland, the attorney general. And if he names one in what category is he want to give that person that comes with special powers? But where they are, the White House, they're just sitting on their hands. Nothing happened. And that, even with stuff coming out again every day that says it really did happen. (laughs) Stuff really did happen. 
Um, last night on the Ingram angle, Laura Ingram, she had Jim Jordan on talking about this, and they had something very noteworthy to discuss. Listen to this conversation between the pair. And Hunter Biden might not be the only conflict of interest problem facing this White House because in a new letter to Ron Klain being released exclusively on this show tonight, three GOP congressmen are requesting documents related to attorney Lee Wolowski. Now, Wolowski was hired last September to work for the National Security Council on resettlement and other issues regarding the U.S. drawdown from Afghanistan. He resigned from his White House post in January. And that's where things get interesting. A month later, Biden issued an executive order splitting $3.5 billion in assets from the Afghan Central Bank among the 9-11 victims. The attorney representing those families? You guessed it, Lee Woloski. Joining us now is one of the co-signers of that letter, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Congressman, uh, what do you hope to find in those documents? Well, we hope to get some answers to a couple questions we asked there, but you laid it out, Laura. Four months, he gets hired in September, he leaves in January. A few days, literally days after he leaves, we find out that his law firm, he's representing these plaintiffs who get the windfall because Joe Biden changed the process with an executive order, didn't go through the normal fund you go through for families who've been impacted and hurt and, and, by, by, by terrorism. So that, that raises all kinds of concerns. And then you couple that with what we're now learning about the Hunter Biden situation, which seems to be all kinds of things get done that benefit the first family, that's our concern and why we sent the letter. Now, uh, one of the lawyers, Congressman, is defending that huge amount of uh, legal fees that they're set to receive. Another yeah. Havlish lawyer who was asked not to be named dismissed the criticism that their potential windfall is unfair. 20 years ago, everybody thought we were crazy when we filed this lawsuit. When you're a success, you're greedy lawyers, he said. Well, your response, well, yeah, I mean, lawyers do get a lot of money, Congressman. I mean, as a former they, practicing attorney, you know, if it's $800, $1,000 an hour, I don't know what they charge or how they, yeah. how they calculated it, it's a lot of money. Yeah, they, they do, but this happened literally days after he leaves the White House, where he was working on matters that pertain to Afghanistan. He leaves, and the money that comes from Afghanistan goes around the normal process into a new fund that is going to benefit the very clients that he's representing just days after he leaves the White House. So again, th this is the same White House that told us on Sunday, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden did nothing wrong, according to Ron Klain. The same Ron Klain who you just talked about, who 10 years ago was going to Hunter Biden and said, hey, can you give us some money to help the vice president and keep it low, low key? So I think that's a concern uh, when you have, particularly these two events happening at the same time, we're learning all kinds of information relative to the first family. Well, Congressman, when you hear Joe Biden say, as we just played um, uh, a few minutes ago, when he said, oh, well, the Justice Department, they, they, they have to act independently. I know I, I'm not putting any pressure, but then they clearly managed to leak out the fact that the right. president of the United States wants the um, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, to act more like a prosecutor and less like a ponderous judge. So they knew that was coming out. That it, in and of yeah, itself of could pressure Garland, yes? 
Yeah, they wanted him to go after President Trump. And also, just think about how this Hunter Biden story has changed. First, it was, it wasn't Hunter Biden's laptop. Then it was, oh, it's his laptop, but it's Russian disinformation. And then it was, well, it's not really Russian disinformation, but Joe Biden wasn't involved. Now it was, well, Joe Biden was involved, but they did nothing wrong because Ron Klain told us on Sunday they did nothing wrong. I mean, that is amazing how that is, that, how that has evolved over 18 months. It went from 18 months ago, no, 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 this is not true, to now we had the Washington Post last yeah. Wednesday write two stories, one at 11 o'clock, one at 11.04, two eight-page stories four minutes apart saying it's all true. The laptop is real. The eyewitness is real. The emails are real. The only thing fake 18 months ago was the news, and it was just days before the most important election we have, yeah. and the American people were denied an opportunity to have the facts in front of them when, when they make a decision about who's going to be our commander-in-chief. That's why this is so important. And then you couple it with this story, with how this one lawyer benefited just days after he left the White House. That, 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 is, that is why so many Americans are so frustrated by what they see going on in today's White House and the Biden administration. Yeah, well, it's nice that the Washington Post says that you know, it's time for a reckoning over the Hunter Biden story. Yep. But you know, it's, it's, it's kind of late. I mean, <laughs> Congressman, we'll find out. Exactly. We'll find out eventually the truth. I appreciate it. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News' YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. So what you witnessed when you listened to that from Laura Ingram's show last night with Congressman Jim Jordan, what you witnessed is, here's another thing, another big part of this. And so when this corruption happens, and it doesn't have a political party name on it, I mean, it's just Washington, D.C., and it's not just political parties. It's not just elected officials. We have bureaucratic people up there that are lifers that work in the government that have corruption all over them. But when something like this comes out, when you have the people at this high level that have dirty hands and they're caught with their hands in the piggy bank, what happens is if you keep looking, you always find another part of it. And if you keep digging into that one, you find another part of it. That is the definition, the defining identity, the way we can witness and find evidence that proves when political corruption is happening. On that level, on the kind of, we're talking about a president of the United States now who was vice president of the United States for eight years and all through all of those years and apparently into this administration, Joe Biden has corruption all over him. And it bleeds off of him into his family. And they deny, deny, deny. Denying something, folks, in politics, unless you have total control of everything. Corruption and problems like this never go away. They never go away unless they are adjudicated in a court and a verdict comes down that eliminates any further goings-on or interest in what was being litigated. In this case, folks, this one isn't going anywhere. And sadly, but maybe not sadly, maybe it's time that we get all this out in the open and we're able to find the facts, hold those accountable that are guilty, if any are guilty, and put it away and get on with the business of the nation. I think 
It's about time that we do that and get rid of, ferret out this corruption. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central for Dan Newman, TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. woo Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. another little piece of evidence that points to the fact that there is a real syndicate maybe not formally you know like a corporation or any kind of group like that but a syndicate that involves everybody in the Biden family evidence of Hunter Biden being involved in a long history of family payouts it was proven in Joe Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain's email to Hunter back in 2012. You heard Laura Ingham a minute ago talking to uh, Jim Jordan, and she referenced it. It was soliciting money. Here's what it says. I have Now, this is from Ron Klain, who's the chief of staff of this president right now. This was back in 2012. What was going on then? The Biden-Obama administration. The email said from Klain, and it's addressed to Hunter, hey, I got to tackle a piece of unpleasant business about the need for a $2,000 check for preserving and furnishing the vice president's official residence located on U.S. Naval Observatory grounds. Hunter then emailed his business partner, Eric Schwerin, about Klain's request about whether Klain would accept a check from Hunter's law firm. So Klain's request for money, it supports Hunter's 2019 text in which he depicted the Biden family's payout mechanism. The pay, it, There's actually a structure that's built into it that is made very clear over and over again. The mechanism of this payout process indicates a collection of 50% of familiar salaries for 30 years. You got that? 
50% of familiar salaries. That's people in the family for 30 years. Hunter said this, I hope you all can do what I've did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. He was talking to his daughter in 2019 about the family's payment mechanism. It's really hard, but don't worry. Unlike Pop, Joe, his dad, of course, I won't make you give me half of your salary. According to some emails from Hunter's laptop, Hunter personally paid Joe his phone bill and quite a few other expenses while Joe was vice president. Hunter routinely paid the AT&T bills. No big deal, about 200 bucks a month. We know from an email on January 5th, 2010 with the subject JRB bills to Hunter from his partner, Eric Sherwin, that he was expected to pay hefty bills to Wilmington contractors. What for? Maintenance and upkeep of his dad's palatial lakefront property. Joe's initials are JRB for Joseph Robinette Biden. The bills that June included $3,000 to a contractor named Earl Downing for a stone retaining wall at Joe's Wilmington estate. $2,000 to painter Ronald Peacock to paint the back wall and columns of the house. And $1,239 to a builder named Mike Christopher for repairing the air conditioning at the cottage of Joe's late mother, Jean Mom Mom Biden, which was on his property. And by the way, he would later rent it to the Secret Service for $2,200 a month. Folks, this isn't wide Russian collusion. This isn't disinformation. These are facts, people's names, actual exact amounts. And all of what you just heard, those payouts, are illegal. Allegedly, Hunter paid these bills while Joe was making a quarter of a million a year as vice president. Joe's denied knowledge or involvement in any of the Biden family's business schemes. But additional emails from Sherwin to Hunter show that Biden knew of the Biden family business scheme and wanted his bill covered by the agreement. FYI, There are a few outstanding bills that need to be paid, and I'm not sure which ones are a priority and which should get paid out of my account and which should be put on hold or paid out of the Wilmington Trust Social Security check account. That's a Sherwin email, and it was discovered, reported by the Daily Mail. There's about $2,000 extra in my account beyond what is used for monthly expenses. It's unknown, why Sherwin would reference his account with quotation marks around the word my. According to former Utah U.S. attorney named Brad Tolman, the Biden's family payment mechanism of collecting 50% of family salaries for 30 years could be legal predicates for racketeering charges. I get that there's a spin, but this is not a complex one, Tomlin told the New York Post in relation to potential serious charges against the Bidens. Conspiracy is a standalone crime in our country, and you've certainly got enough to present to a grand jury that there's a conspiracy among Joe, his brother James, and Hunter to bring in money, to not declare that money, to not pay taxes on that money. Meanwhile, 
Ron Klain, he smells something's going on. So Sunday, he tried to distance Joe Biden from the Biden family business. He claimed he was confident that his, Biden, family did the right thing. But again, I want to just be really clear. These are actions by Hunter and his brother, Klain told ABC News, George Stephanopoulos. They're private matters. They don't involve the president. And they certainly are something that no one at the White House is involved in. He didn't address anything about Hunter and Joe sharing the bank account. And that's proven through some of the emails on Hunter's laptop. President Joe Biden could become embroiled in an FBI investigation of Hunter's finances. As emails revealed, the father and son shared accounts and paid each other's bills. Like I said when we started the show today, every day, it just seems like there's one more atrocity, atrocious thing that goes on or went on in the Biden family. And it always ends up in money. It always ends up in money. So what about the combination between Hunter and Joe? Put this in perspective. Um, Months ago, we did a deep dive and we found over 200 trips, 200 trips that then the vice president's son, Hunter Biden, took on U.S. jets, government jets, going in different parts of the world. Now, these were not those in which he flew with his dad, the vice president, on Air Force Two. These are other trips. The taxpayers picked up the tab for every one of those. How can that happen? Everybody knows that it shouldn't happen. Everybody in their right mind knows it it couldn't happen legally. But worse than it all is no one has been held accountable and no one will be held accountable. That, my friends, is a fact. So every day as more and more news comes out, um, we hear more and more specific information that has been verified from multiple different sources. All of those things fall in the category of what were discussed two years ago in the New York Post article that exposed all of this stuff about Hunter Biden's laptop. This morning, very early, Maria Bartiromomo, she went on and explained a little bit more about this. Welcome back. Now this Fox News exclusive. Fox News has obtained 2017 emails which reveal President Biden once wrote a college recommendation letter for one of Hunter's Chinese business partners tied to the CCP. The CEO of the Chinese investment firm Bohai, Jonathan Lee, writing, quote, Gentlemen, please find the attached resume of my son. He is applying to the following colleges for this year. A month later, a Biden associate writes to Lee this. Hunter asked me to send you a copy of the recommendation letter that he asked his father to write on behalf of Christopher for Brown University. But the White House still maintains the president never engaged in his son's business. The president has said that he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. Is that still the case? Yes. 
course, Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson have revealed new financial documents detailing business links between the Biden family and corrupt actors. Ron Johnson joined me on Sunday Morning Futures on Sunday, documenting the money that the Biden family has taken in and the favors. James Freeman, your reaction to this influence peddling and the impact? Yeah, this is significant, and it's another piece of what is now a mounting pile of evidence that Joe and Hunter Biden work together on a lot of things. This is They are not separate, as the White House, as Joe Biden have maintained, uh, they, that Hunter's business, um, collecting uh, all of this money, all of these opportunities uh, in Chinese finance or Ukrainian natural gas or or Russian-funded computer manufacturing or what have you, uh, are not separate from Joe Biden, because we see here a business partner of Hunter's getting a favor. And what's interesting here is this communication begins when Joe Biden is still the sitting vice president. It's early January 2017. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what was done between then and when he left office, but uh, once again, another big dent in this Biden myth that there is no connection between Hunter's business dealings and Joe Biden. Yeah, and we've been saying this a long time, showing the email, the big guy, 10 percent held by H for the big guy. Brandon, I've said repeatedly, this is not a Hunter Biden story. This is a Joe Biden story. Yeah, I think that's right. And what Joe Biden needs to be worried about right now is his polling numbers, because if Republicans do indeed take the House and possibly the Senate, as they're expected to do, they get investigatory power, they get subpoena power. So this investigation and people like Ron Johnson have already done a lot of homework. Uh, This investigation gets ticked up to the next level when they start bringing in administration officials, when they start bringing in Hunter Biden and others to ask them questions under oath about these activities. So that's what Joe Biden needs to be worried about right now. Now, Republicans are not just measuring the drapes in the speaker's office. They're also contemplating how to investigate this administration and make sure truth comes to light. You know what the worst part of this entire conversation is? We're talking about graft and corruption in the highest political level entity in the nation, a presidential administration and the president and his family members. We're not talking about uh, battling inflation, going after our problems in our energy industry that were developed without question at the hands of a new president, Joe Biden, back January 20th a year ago now. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the problems that we have around the world, pulling ourselves back together. I'm talking about ourselves being all of our friends, our allies in other countries, making a consensus happen so that we can embrace all the good things, the right things, and let everyone else in the world understand that we are joined together to do these things. Instead of that, instead of talking about the realistic problems that we have here, nobody yet really realizes, hardly anybody, in fact, anybody that wasn't alive in 1970, would never realize and understand firsthand what inflation at the levels that we have now and where we're headed. We've not seen anything yet, folks. These few cents that uh, have been taken off the gas pumps, that's not touching anything. Our inflation is through 
the roof. In fact, in a recent poll, Americans that were polled named that the number one problem that we have, and they want Joe Biden as president to address inflation. How does he address it? He gets up before a television camera and he talks to Congress and says, Congress, give me more money. Two billion, I think, was the number for COVID stimulation. Two billion. How can you justify that? It causes, it's a direct cause of inflation. A direct cause. And there are example after example of that that we don't even touch, we don't even talk about. Let me tell you what's coming up. If you think it's bad that this is going on, it's nuts what's happening at our southern border. We better awaken. We better wake up. We better start screaming and hollering. You're not going to believe what has been revealed coming from Alejandro Mayorkas, Director of Homeland Security. Pull your chair up, get ready to get nauseated, and get very angry right after this. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. That's kind of a a, a little over the top, don't you think? <laughs> truth, justice, the American way. Well, we all think that. We all feel that. We're working together for that to happen. And we're exposing things that keep it from happening at the levels that we really need it to happen at. 
Joe Biden's border chief, Alejandro Mayorkas, listen to this, folks. He's planning a no-deportation amnesty for most of the 1.7 million illegals waiting in the courtroom backlogs. This is happening even as officials are preparing to welcome many hundreds of thousands more job-seeking migrants. This is the equivalent of nullifying our immigration laws. That's according to Rob Law at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's a former appointee at the Homeland Security Department. The backlog amnesty will be quickly used as an excuse by officials. Why? To justify the award of work permits and green cards to the illegal migrants. This is how this is going to be teed up. They'll say, well, as you know, these people were being subjected to these draconian deportation rules of the past that don't reflect our current equity and compassion. Equity. I hate that word. Equality. And they want to conflate that equality and equity mean the same thing. They don't. But now it's not right for them to not have the opportunity to have a livelihood. That's what the messaging is going to be for the next giving them mass parole or some status that allows a work permit. They're laundering illegal migration behavior through a multi-staged approach. We do have a backlog amnesty. We really do. We have all these people. 1.7 million. I'll be honest with you. I bet the number's even higher than that. They're waiting for their court dates, supposedly. That doesn't mean they're going to show up for the court dates. But there are that many out there. Now, this whole process, this backlog amnesty thing, it's being marketed by Mayorkas, calling it a cost-saving measure for the government's prosecutors and judges before the planned inflow of myriad more economic migrants once the Title 42 barrier is removed next month. But the government's cost saving is going to impose huge pocketbook cost on the millions of Americans who today are struggling to earn decent wages or to pay their inflating rents in this economy that today is flooded with illegal migrants. Those pocketbook problems are undermining Democrats' chances, by the way, in the 2022 election. That's according to a survey of loyal Democrats reported on April 4th by Politico. Some of the things that were said, a woman from the Boston area who went first mentioned rising gas and food prices, food shortages at her local Whole Foods, and the increasing cost of housing. It just seems like everything is going up. There's no end in sight. In the other focus group, a black man from the Houston area, he talked about trying to live on the $12 and $13 per hour jobs he was being offered. No one can live off that, especially with inflation. On April 5th, The Hill reported Morgan Jackson, a leading Democrat strategist based in North Carolina, a swing state, he said he expects the GOP to come at Democratic candidates hard on border and immigration-related issues. Obviously, he said, Republicans are going to try to make immigration a top issue. They've tried to do that for the last decade, almost every election. He said voters are more concerned about 
pocketbook issues, such as the strength of the economy, inflation, rising gas prices, and the cost of health care. Migration advocates are cheering this proposed amnesty, which is being pushed by Alejandro Mayorkas. There are 1.6 million cases in immigration court, said a tweet from Aaron Reichland Melnick, an advocate at the American Immigration Council. If we want to clear backlogs absent Congress, using prosecutorial discretion to dismiss many of these cases is the only way going forward. Now, hearken back with me for a minute. During the eight years of the Obama administration, officials, if you'll remember, dropped roughly 160,000 immigration cases in the courtroom backlog, such as deportation cases. Donald Trump's deputies revived roughly 34,000 of those administratively closed cases. He was trying. The Mayorkas backlog amnesty is getting very low-key treatment. I will bet you this is the first place and the first time you've heard it. But it's out there and it's being talked up behind the scenes. The establishment media is ignoring it. The DHS reporter at the New York Times, he wouldn't even quote any opponents of the amnesty plan in her report. It is the latest in a series of efforts by the Biden administration to streamline immigration enforcement in the absence of action from Congress. One ICE official authorized by the agency to speak publicly without being identified said lawyers would review each case before the court to see if it met the administration's priorities for enforcement, cases that involve a public safety or national security threat, as well as those involving people who recently crossed the border with no documentation. The numbers are staggering, and they're getting worse. This huge backlog in immigration cases has been deliberately created by the federal government, this administration, partly because it allows the cartel's conveyor belt of smuggled labor and return debt payments to generate more profits from migrant labor sent to the U.S. labor market. By the way, there's a one and a half million person backlog for dealing with asylum claims. That's from Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio. And he added this, this means that when you are allowed into the country to await an immigration judge looking at your case, they're going to be anywhere from four to six years before your case is even considered in court. While you're in the U.S., you're working. Your illegal migrant kids are going to school. You're getting your health care. You're part of the community. And obviously, a lot of these people don't show up for those asylum court cases. Some do. Most don't. So this backlog amnesty is just one of many bureaucratic measures Mayorkas is taking. What's he doing? He's minimizing the enforcement of the nation's popular immigration laws, despite Congress's refusal to loosen those laws. Here's what it all boils down to, folks. Here's where we're going down and what road we're going down. Here's a man that's an immigrant, a legal immigrant. His family's from Cuba. And he obviously has this in his crawl. That's his cause. But he agreed to become the director of Homeland Security when he 
pledged an oath to the Constitution and the rule of law, which he had already done, by the way, when he got his law license. Pledging an oath to the Constitution. What does the Constitution say about laws, federal laws in the nation? First of all, they can only be made by the United States Congress, which is the body that represents the people. 435 members of the House of Representatives, they're voted on and represent various districts in the states where they live. Senators were originally appointed by governors in the states, two from each state. But when those people and the others in Washington saw how monetarily beneficial it was for everybody to be in campaign mode, they pushed for and they they got an amendment to the Constitution passed that said senators would be elected. In other words, they would have to campaign. In other words, they would have to collect campaign dollars. You know where it goes from there. So, Congress makes laws. That includes immigration laws. Now, what does it say about breaking federal laws? If you look at the entire Constitution structure and you go get one of them that has all of the documentation behind it on everything that's happened, you'll see that there is sole authority for anything to do with laws. That sole authority comes from the Congress and no one else can step in front legally and make those decisions that normally are made and are always constitutionally to be made by the United States Congress. So what Mayorkas is doing, he's just taking everything that he's been doing, which is ignoring the rule of law, violating his oath of office, day after day after day, personally and corporately committing impeachable offenses. I know, I know these immigration laws, sometimes they seem unfair. They seem where they're slanted. They seem to favor the people that are the most evil, that do the most wrong. I understand all of those things. But there's no provision in the United States Congress nor in any state legislature in the nation that allows a governor or a president to push to the side any law, not just immigration laws, but any law and say, as long as I'm president, here's the way we're going to do it. Not the way you guys in the House and Senate passed it to be ruled on. Or by the way it was written in perpetuity in the U.S. Constitution. Those things don't matter. We're going to listen to the governors and we're going to listen at the top to the President of the United States and those in his administration, and we're going to give them or allow them the direct authority to make executive decisions, and those equal the same thing as laws. But you know what the scariest thing about that whole thing is? It's happening. It's been happening. It will continue to happen, and you know why? Nobody that is in the position, not only that has the power and the authority to do that, they refuse to stop it. Who would that be? 
Well, at Homeland Security, it would be Alejandro Mayorkas. And I just gave you his plan, which is to do the exact opposite of what the immigration laws that were duly passed say must happen. The same things that he's allowing and perpetrating and making happen now. Open the door at the southern border. Y'all come on in. One after, I can think, I could sit here and you probably could too, of 30 different specific things, maybe not 30, maybe 28, (laughs) that Alejandro Mayorkas is doing, that he's guilty of violating his oath of office by violating federal immigration laws. And he's actually crafted this plan to allow almost 2 million illegals that are already here to give them legal status to be here. That means jobs, housing, medical care, education for kids, food, all of the subsidies that the United States government has for giveaways. They all get to access that. Then what may be worse is that they, who are always willing to work for lower rate wages than a lot of other people that are American natives, they work for less, so they're going to displace a lot of these Americans on these jobs. You may justify that by saying what that'll do, it'll drive the prices, the cost of goods and services down for these companies. It'll drive the prices down. That's never been the case, folks. It always goes the other way. Instead of prices dropping, they actually add prices, add on to prices. What we're actually talking about is a nonviolent coup being perpetrated by the head of one department of the federal government under the executive branch of the government and what he's saying and what he's doing are illegal to their core. Nobody's holding him accountable. Nobody's holding Alejandro Mayorkas accountable for what he's doing and also what he's not doing. Does that bother you in in the least? Does it bother you at all? Does it make you think, man, maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is not something good. Maybe we need to get away from this. Have you thought about that? I have. It's nauseating to me to think that it hasn't been stopped. And folks, we saw it coming. It began back in the Clinton years. It began to edge up, edge up, edge up. Bush 43, edge up, edge up, edge up. Turning their backs on illegal immigrants coming across the Texas border where Bush 43 was from. You remember that? Ronald Reagan. He gave mass amnesty to one group of over a million illegals. It's all criminal activity, folks. If none of that bothers you, why don't you think about moving to South Texas or Southern New Mexico or Southern Arizona or at a really nice place just south of San Diego, those border states and border towns that are living through some of the most frightening experiences of their lives that they never expected they would have to see and heal here and be a part of because Joe Biden refuses 
to make the people that work for him in law enforcement, federal law enforcement, to enforce federal laws, all federal laws. You know where he learned that from? Barack Obama. He's the one that started it. And it's all anti-constitutional. Why don't you take a listen to somebody from Texas? A representative, a U.S. congressional representative from Texas who's living, not just talking about all this southern border stuff, but living it. You know, Yvette introduced legislation about 14 months ago to make Title 42 uh, be required to be enforced. We filed a discharge petition a year ago. Now we're up to, I think, around 210 signatures. Uh, virtually every Republican has signed that discharge petition to force a vote on the floor of the House to require Title 42 to be used, but not one of our Democratic colleagues has joined to sign that discharge petition. You might want to ask why. That's one of the things I don't want to ask our friends in the media, to ask our Democratic colleagues why. Ask them if it's okay that a half a million people came into the United States last year that were known gotaways or that 700,000 people were released into the United States last year. Ask them if that's okay. Ask them if it's okay that right now in Texas on Interstate 10 or I-35, which runs up along the district I represent, or 281, which comes up out of San Antonio, or I-10 heading into Houston, ask them if it's okay that there's a little girl right now that's going to be taken and put in a stash house in Houston, Texas, because the cartels are moving her for profit to put her into the sex trafficking trade. Ask them if they're okay with that. Because I can tell you in Bernie, Texas, a suburb of San Antonio, we had nine people in a car last year caught by local law enforcement. The person driving the car was an American citizen employee of the Cartel del Noreste of Lizetas and was moving those people, eight people in that car, to his stash house in Houston to put them into the sex and labor trafficking trade. One of the boys had paid 4000 bucks to go pick grapes in California. We've got dozens of these stories every single day. We asked Brandon Judd, we asked our friends at the Border Patrol Unit, is this an invasion? And he didn't even hesitate to say it's an invasion. The amount of violence right now going on and warring cartels where they're making the, the level of money that John referenced, the hundreds of millions of dollars, they're moving human beings for profit, fentanyl into our communities, people dying in suburbs all across America, taking Xanax laced with fentanyl. In Austin, Texas, University of Texas football, right? Sam Ellinger, Jake Ellinger. Jake Ellinger died taking Xanax laced with fentanyl. This is happening in our communities across the 100. 100,000 people across the country last year died from cocaine, I mean, I'm sorry, from uh, fentanyl and opioid overdoses. In the 80s, we were upset about 10,000 dying from cocaine overdoses. Think about that. That's the result of these open borders. Ask Democrats if they're okay with all of that. That's the buzz phrase that needs to be repeated again and again. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? It's like we talked about in the 2020 election. And after the fact, we found out that there was some gross irregularities and that some people's votes weren't being counted. Forget about the obvious cheating that has gone on, and there's evidence to prove it, where absentee ballots were being harvested. Forget about that for a second. But just think about this. Every fraudulent vote that is cast, what it does, it negates the vote of a legal and righteous vote that was cast by someone. One negates the other. The same thing holds true here. 
you let one illegal in, that's going to do away with or effectively denigrate the rights of one person that's legally here. And so how many rapes, how many murders, how many break-ins, how many DWIs, how much human struggling, smuggling, how much of that? How about how much sex smuggling, sex trafficking smuggling is okay with you? How many young kids, 10 years old, how many of them is it okay for you to allow to be trafficked by these smugglers from across the border? Obviously, if you make no steps to stop it, it must be okay. And one of the worst things, we very seldom talk about it. You just heard Congressman Chip Coy relate to it. During an interview with ABC yesterday on Tuesday's edition of Nightline, DEA Administrator Ann Milgram, she said that China provides chemicals to Mexico to the criminal drug networks are then mass-producing fact prescription pills that are sold as though they're prescription drugs but are all actually laced with fentanyl. We do see a large number of young people who are purchasing pills, she said. What we know is that China is providing chemicals to Mexico, to the criminal drug networks that are then mass-producing these fake prescription pills. They're then being sold as if they were Xanax, as if they were Oxy, one of the Oxys, as if they were Percocet. But there's no Xanax, no Oxy, no Percocet in them. They're fentanyl. But it isn't just young people that we see. It's also older Americans. Right now, this is the leading cause of death. Listen to this. Overdoses are the leading cause of death for men between the ages of 18 and 45. There are more overdose deaths than car accidents and gun violence. So we have to be really expansive in understanding that it's just not teenagers. It's Americans of all ages. Cuts across every single demographic, rural, urban, suburban, and that people are dying at record rates. Chip Roy, he asked a question. How many of these people have to die? 100,000 last year. How many of them have to die from taking drugs that they thought were good, that were given to them, like she just said, they were Xanax. But there was no Xanax in the pill. Percocet. There was no Percocet in the pill. Fentanyl. And people die. What number's okay with you before you take efforts to stop it? So we talked about sex trafficking. We talked about human smuggling. We talked about drug trafficking. What other things are happening coming across our southern border? The biggest, and it's not the most egregious, but it is the biggest, taking the jobs of Americans that are struggling right now today to make ends meet. And they'll come in in a week or two and they'll find out that someone from across the border and you have no idea, but you're pretty sure they're illegal aliens came and applied for a job and they're giving that person your job. How many of those circumstances, how many times does that have to happen until these 
people in Washington, D.C. will stand up, step out, and do what they swore an oath to the United States to do, which is to support the rule of law, to back and support the U.S. Constitution. If they had done that, we wouldn't have had the voting irregularity in the 2020 election. There certainly was some in the 2016 election. None of it would have happened, and none of it going forward would happen if we were committed to make sure that we all, citizens and citizen representatives in our Congress, we all abide by the rule of law. If we can't do that, folks, we can't have a nation. We're headed downhill, and it's nothing at the bottom that looks good. It's an abyss, and we don't know how bad it would get, but you can bet chaos would reign. Tyranny would take over. Anything goes would be the walking, marching mantra of all those people that would stand up and seize power. Don't think that if government, if law enforcement is taken away or they just stop operating, don't think for a second that everything's just going to rock alone and that everybody's going to be okay. Because in, a, in the vacuum of law enforcement, when there's a vacuum there and law enforcement doesn't exist at all or it's reduced dramatically, crime ramps up exponentially. We see it happening right now. All those cries last year, George Floyd after his death from the hands of those policemen. The cry went out. Law enforcement people are bad. So there were riots and looting all in the name of George Floyd while Black Lives Matter was raking in money saying they were representing all African American and other minorities. Millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from major corporations and very wealthy individuals that were afraid to be outed for whatever reason or reasons, outed for their personal political preferences. This is a dark road that we are walking down now. Can we stop it? Gosh, I don't even know if we can. But what we've got to do personally is find ways to make our families okay. Make our spouses, make our kids okay. Protect them, insulate them from as much of this as we can. Enough of the corruption talk. The U.S. government, March the 5th, a month ago, they halted all shipments of a COVID-19 treatment to states and they ordered healthcare providers not to use the drug. This was instigated because of the increasingly prevalence of BA2, a subvariant of Omicron, which is itself a variant of the CCP virus, also known as SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Data so far indicate that the drug which is a monoclonal antibody called citrovimab, does not work against BA2. That's according to the FDA. Regulators at the beginning told doctors in eight states on March 27th to stop giving citrovimab to COVID-19 patients. Several days later, the FDA expanded its action, which essentially revokes the emergency use authorization granted to 14 additional states. With that move on Tuesday, 
We're told the monoclonal is no longer authorized to treat COVID in any U.S. region because of the increases in the proportion of COVID-19 cases that are caused by the Omicron BA2 subvariant. That was from the FDA, incidentally. The regulator is relying on estimates from the CDC, which pegs BA2 as causing the majority of COVID cases in every region of the country. Have you heard anything about this? I've not heard a peep. According to pseudovirus testing performed by the FDA, Citrovimab worked about 16 times less well against BA2. Based on that, it is unlikely that the authorized dose is effective against the subvariant, the FDA tells healthcare providers in a recent updated fact sheet. After that update, the Department of Health and Human Services announced it was stopping all shipments of citrovimab. Some 16,000 doses were allocated this week. Now, how does that compare? Is it down from 50,000 per week in the weeks before BA2 was pegged as causing a majority of all the cases in some parts of the country? Doctors and other providers should turn to remdesivir or Paxlovid treatments from Gilead Sciences and Pfizer, respectively. That's according to the COVID treatment guidelines panel. When you find yourself with neither available, providers should use Bebtolovimab, a monoclonal from Eli Lilly or Merck's multi, uh, let's see, Molnupiravir. They come up with some names, don't they? Again, every day, every couple of days, we hear one more travesty coming out of COVID-19 world. One more thing that we were told was true, we find out is not true. One more thing that they told us was not true is true. This is politicization at the highest level. And as Americans, we just sit back and watch it happen. Well, there's some good news in my opinion. I love the fact that Elon Musk, is he still the wealthiest man on earth? If he's not, he's in the top four or five. But anyway, he stepped up with a paltry 9% purchase for the cost of $3 billion to buy that percentage interest in Twitter. So today, you can imagine, Twitter employees are very concerned and even got more concerned after Elon Musk vowed to make what he said were significant improvements to the social media platform, Twitter, as a company board member and majority shareholder, admitting his investment in the company was not passive. After news broke of Tesla's CEO's $3 billion investment in the platform, employees took to Twitter, issuing messages of both serious and uneasiness and mockery. Good morning to our new overlord. That was from Laura Cohen, the company's global head of partners. Can you believe she would do that talking about her voice, her boss? Company researcher Matt DeMichael shared a a meme featuring rapper Drake that seemed to imply Musk would move in the company's focus from growth 
product innovation, and sustainability to ways to further financial success. Elon Musk, just temporarily at least, made me a lot of money, and I still dislike him. That's according to one of the people that works there. The billionaire who initially filed an SEC disclosure document intended for passive shareholders filed a second form yesterday indicating that he invested in the platform with the goal to evoke change. You think that didn't put some Twitter employees in stark raving crazy mode. This filing revealed that Elon began purchasing Twitter stock January 31st, continued to buy shares during every trading session through April the 1st. Twitter announced Tuesday morning that Musk would hold a seat on the company's board of directors until the platform's 2024 annual shareholders meeting. So in one back and forth, either alone or as a member of a group, it's not allowed to push his stake in the company passed 14.9% during the duration of his board membership and for 90 days after, according to the Tuesday's SEC filing. But Twitter and Twitter employees appeared worried about company operations and values now that must seemingly holds significant weight in the company. Michael Saman, he's product leader, at Twitter, took to the platform to share a meme allegedly showing the next company board meeting. The post featured a group attending a meeting with Wario, the antagonist in Nintendo's Mario series, sitting at the head table. The meme was captioned, Twitter's next board meeting. DeMichael, who shared the Drake meme, also responded to a commentator asking if employees were required to include Musk on all work-related communications. And he responded. Here's what he said. All email signatures have to link to Tesla's website. There are some changes in the wind, and I promise you, we're going to see some of those changes pretty quickly. Everybody knows we have a midterm election coming up in November. And it's getting here very, very quickly. Time is just roaring by. Do you realize we're already finished with three months this year? Nine to go? And seven months from now, an election in November. So different states around the country are approaching this in different ways. Tennessee, Southern, very conservative. Their state legislature yesterday passed a bill that could end the congressional campaign of former State Department spokeswoman Morgan Artigas and has already sparked a legal fight over its constitutionality. SB 2016-2616. It requires congressional candidates to have lived in Tennessee and the district they seek to represent for three years before they seek elected office problem for Ortega. She moved to Nashville in 2021. She made her ineligible to run if Republican Governor Bill Lee signs into law that legislation, that SB 2616. She's running to replace retiring Democrat Representative Jim Cooper, 
whose 5th district became significantly more Republican following redistricting. Manipulation of elections. They do it all the time. I'm not saying they have uh, the universal privilege. I promise you, we know what's going on from the other side. Obviously, though, the two in uh, the depth and the width of that corruption is much, much bigger than is happening on the GOP side. And I've not been presented a single case from the GOP side that indicates voting irregularity or voting fraud. Not so much on the left. But this one, folks, this one would take the cake. It really would. Have you heard the latest that happened between Congressman Matt Gates and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin? They really got into it yesterday in a hearing. You know Lloyd Austin. He's the big, good-looking African-American man, a general that took the job. He was also, if you remember back, remember when Benghazi happened? when those four Americans were killed. One of them was a UN ambassador. When all that came up and the decisions were made not to send planes to pick up those men that were in our consulate in Benghazi when those attacks happened. That man was Lloyd Austin. He was a director of CENTCOM. He was over all of such operations for the entire Middle East. He did nothing then. And then look what happened with Afghanistan. Listen to Matt Gates go after the Secretary of Defense. You guys told us that Russia couldn't lose. You told us that the Taliban couldn't immediately win. And so I guess I'm wondering, what in the $773 billion that you're requesting today is going to help you make assessments that are accurate in the face of so many blown calls? You've you've seen what's in our budget. You've seen how the budget matches the strategy. And so I'll let that speak for itself. And so while everyone else in the world seems to be developing capabilities and being more strategic, we got time to embrace critical race theory at West Point, to embrace socialism at the National Defense University, to do mandatory pronoun training. Do you it's, assess... You know, it's, it's, again, this is the most capable, the most combat-credible force in the world. It has been, and it will be so uh, going forward. Not if and we this continue down this path. To do that. Not if we embrace socialism. The, the fact that you're embarrassed by your by your country. By oh your no no country, no! I'm embarrassed by I'm, your leadership. I'm sorry. You guys said that that Russia would overrun Ukraine in 36 days. You said that the Taliban would be kept at bay for months. You totally blew those calls. And maybe we would be better at them if the National Defense University actually worked a little more on strategy and a little less on wokeism. Has it occurred to you that Russia has not overrun Ukraine because of what we've done? And our allies have done. But that was have, baked have into your flawed assessment. It just went on and on and on and on. But basically what Matt Gates was saying, you guys come to us with your hands out wanting billions and billions of dollars, and then we find out you're using a bunch of that money for critical race theory, for things that have nothing to do with the military. It has to do with wokeism. In the face of what's happening in Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine, You would think that would cause us and our leaders in our military to beef up their strategies and say, look, Russia's doing this. We don't know what they're going to do long term. They've been invaders in the past. Why would we think they would stop with Ukraine? 
We're not going to be able to let this happen. And regarding Ukraine and our involvement in it, our direct involvement in it, where we spend money, provide things, we're not sending people in their boots on the ground. We're not going to do that. Period. We've heard that again and again and again. Well, in the absence of that, you've got to come up with something that is going to make a difference, that is going to push the enemy back and give your people, give them a chance to make it, to survive. Have you seen any of that in the actions the U.S. has taken in this Ukraine-Russia conflict? I haven't. I think where all the verve comes from is from the Ukrainian people that are standing up, pushing back, and saying, you can come take stuff away from us. You can come bruise and assault and even rape our women. You can shoot our kids. We're not going away. We're here, and we're going to stay here. You're going to be leaving. I guess they're saying that in faith. But basically saying, we're going to go let you deal with this uh, diplomacy that you have to do to get all these things worked out. But what you just heard from a Secretary of Defense, Matt Gates is asking specifically, who in their right mind can say the Afri- Afghanistan withdrawal went well? There are still several hundred Americans locked up behind the borders in Afghanistan that this administration promised they would get them out when our military withdrew. They didn't do it, and they've lied and lied and lied about it. Every few days, every week or so, some of the non-political people will put together an escape situation, get it activated, and we get a story after they get back to the U.S. These people were there. They were hiding to keep from being killed because of their ties with America, and we got them out. I guarantee you the Pentagon knows how many people are still there, how many Americans are still there that can't get out. And then we saw the $80 billion of weaponry, some of the most sophisticated on the planet, that included attack helicopters, included all kinds of software, computer hardware, weapons out the wazoo, even explosives, some of which were used in that suicide bomb that killed those American GIs and about 100 Afghan people at the gate to the airport. People want to forget about that. Lloyd Austin gets offended when they're talking about something that is a legitimate question that's been asked, and it begs a response. And instead of responding the best that the Secretary of Defense can do is raise his voice, scream a little bit, take Matt Gates on, and it has nothing to do with the substance of the question. It has to do with trying to make Lloyd Austin look good, make the American military look good, make the American, American people feel like everything's okay with our military. Do you realize that we are decommissioning over the next few years more than three times the Navy ships. We're decommissioning three times the new Navy ships that are being put out to serve in the military. We're going backwards. We're going the wrong way. They're not doing anything about it. They're all pacifist in large part. Joe Biden likes to stand up and 
bluff and say he's this and he's that. But if you remember correctly, when they were in the Situation Room, when that attack was going on for the number one terrorist in the world, Osama bin Laden, they were ready to go. Joe Biden actually told Barack Obama, I don't think we should do this. Bob Gates, former CIA director, former Secretary of Defense, knows Joe Biden well, has been with Biden in this administration probably for 25 years or so. They were in different sections of the government, but they were working together. Bob Gates said, Joe Biden has never made in 30 years the right foreign policy decision on anything. Now that's a slam. I don't care who you are. That's a slam. But that's that's what we have in Washington, D.C. right now. And folks, the horror is not exclusive to the Potomac Valley. In the latest ghoulish iteration of leftism in the United States, guess where it's happening? In Colorado. Governor Jared Polis signed a bill yesterday into law that allows for abortions up to birth and seemingly has zero restrictions in its language. A report from Bloomberg said the ceremony in Denver included Polis's statement that a woman's reproductive rights had been reaffirmed by the new law. Of course, nowhere in the Constitution nor the Bill of Rights is it enumerated that women have a right to abortions, though the left continually paint it that way. The Reproductive Health Equity Act appears to be an attempt to get out in front of the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, a ruling that Justice Clarence Thomas himself maintains was wrongly decided and exists without a shred of support from the U.S. Constitution. His comments were part of his dissent in the ruling of a Louisiana law struck down by the four liberal justices who were joined, true to form, by Chief Justice John Roberts that required doctors performing abortion to obtain admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. The law denies rights and protections for any fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus up to birth, but declares abortion to be a fundamental right under state law. It also prevents the banning of abortions through local city ordinances, has been achieved in other states such as Texas. The worst part of this bill, pro-lifers in the state say, is the removal of any requirement that parents of minors be notified by clinic personnel if a youth is seeking an abortion. Lawmakers, they fought over this thing very heavily. House Bill 1279. Republicans couldn't get the votes to block it in the Democrat-majority state legislature. Pro-life, Republican, Evangelical, Christian, and Catholic organizations, they all rallied trying to stop the bill from moving forward, including Catholic Archbishop Samuel Aquila of Denver, who testified in a state Senate hearing on it. We take the gift of life seriously because each human being is a unique creation of God the Father, he said. The government's only duty and task is to recognize the rights to life and to protect life if it is a truly just government. No mention of that anywhere in the media. No mention of it. 
And yet it's probably the most important thing we've talked about today, protecting human life. Instead of doing willy-nilly like is being done and has been done for decades here in the United States, slaughtering unborn people. People. And the same people that are out there raising and caring and waving those abortion flags and banners are the same people that invite you to come to a baby shower or go to a baby shower. I've asked several times, how many times has your wife ever gotten an invitation to a fetus shower? No, it's a baby. It's a God-inspired, God-made baby. That's a wrap on the show today, folks. I hope you've had a good day so far. I hope it gets better. When you get down in the dumps, maybe things aren't going good. There's always one thing you can do to make it feel better. I encourage you to do it. You can do anything. Just believe this. God can do anything. I know you can do anything. I know you can do anything. I know you can do anything. Yes, you can. As far as the eyes beyond my walls, Jesus, you can do anything. You can. Yes, you can. I believe, Jesus, you can anything. I know you can do Yeah. Hey.